Hey friends, it's Daniel Schreiner. I'm back, but not in Oregon. I'm back here on the podcast uh, from Chicago, Illinois, in the Simeon Trust studio. We're about two-thirds through our Simeon Trust intensive, and Matt Cunningham and I are so grateful for you sending us away to this preaching boot camp, as I call it. It's been so helpful. As I said, uh, pray, continue to pray for Matt and I that we press on well to the end when our course concludes on July 30th. Uh, here in this course, we'll preach three sermons for three different contexts and prepare sermon worksheets on 28 different texts. Uh, to give you a little bit of a flavor of what we're doing, I recorded my second sermon for my humility and for your encouragement for you to listen to. After I delivered this sermon to my preaching cohort, I got a good 35 minutes of critical and encouraging feedback that I trust will help me make progress as a preacher and in turn serve you, my church family and congregation at Henson. In the coming weeks, we hope to release another episode from here in Chicago, where I interview Jeremy Meeks, who helps run the Chicago course on preaching here at Simeon Trust, so be on the lookout for that. So without further ado, uh, listen to this sermon. It's about a 22-minute sermon that I delivered here at the Chicago course, and see if you can notice how nervous I was, and I hope you're edified. All right, thanks for coming out tonight to this talk sponsored by CREW here at Western Kentucky University. CREW is a campus organization that seeks to introduce students to Jesus Christ and help them live their lives for Christ in light of the gospel. I was here at Western Kentucky and from 2001 to 2005, I graduated with a degree in English literature with a minor in history and religious studies. But when I think back on my time here at WKU, the thing that I'm most thankful for is CREW, the, the organization that's sponsoring this talk tonight. The people involved in CREW changed my life. Let me first tell you what made it possible for me to come to Western. My grandfather, Clyde, came to age during the Great Depression. He helped dig the Panama Canal. Uh, he outlived four wives. He ate donuts every day, and he washed paper plates after using them. I always thought that my grandpa Clyde was poor, but when Grandpa Clyde died in 1995, I had no idea that he had left me, all my siblings, and all my cousins about $40,000 each in trust funds. You know, now, I don't know what kind of money you, grew, you have or what kind of money you grew up with, but for me and my family, that was a lot of money. I inherited that $40,000 in 2001 when I graduated high school. And now, 20 years later, I still have some of that money after paying basically off my entire college education using that trust fund. And yes, sorry, I know that college tuition has gone up, but you should have gone to college 15 years ago, like me. <laughs> Just as Grandpa Clyde gave me that big chunk of change that changed my life, so tonight I want to tell you about a truth that can change your life. I have entitled this talk, You Come From Money. You come from money. And if you come from money, it will change your outlook and your perspective on life today. So to consider this, we're going to read seven verses from the book of Galatians. That's in the section of the Bible called the New Testament. Galatians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in 
first century AD to a church or a group of churches in modern day Turkey. The reason he wrote this church is because this church was in danger. Paul had taught this church that they were only right before God by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. That's the one thing he wanted this church to get, that they're only right before God in one way, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some in the church had come to believe that you needed to keep the Mosaic law. You needed to keep rules in order to be a Christian. So Paul writes this letter to the church to remind them how God saves us and also what he offers us in that salvation in Christ. So listen now to seven verses from near the end of this letter that Christians believe and I believe are inspired by God himself. And I want, as I read, I want you to consider if these words are true, what it might mean for you today. Galatians 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I don't know what stood out to you as I read those verses. There's so much that we could focus on in that text that would be interesting and helpful to talk about. We could talk about slavery. We could talk about adoption. We could address the male-dominated language in this text. And I'm happy to stay afterwards and talk about those things with any of you who are truly interested. They, they are worth talking about and wrestling with. But for the purposes of our next 20 minutes together tonight, I want to focus on Paul's main point and the number one question that we should be asking ourselves tonight, which is, how do we get this inheritance? How do we get this inheritance? What would it mean for us to know that we've come from money? So to consider if you have come from money, let's organize our thoughts under two stages of our relationship to this heavenly inheritance. So I have two points. One, coming of age. Two, daddy's riches. Coming of age and daddy's riches. First coming of age. Now, until you're 18 years old, as we know, we're technically still dependents upon our parents or guardians. Most of us are thrilled to have those days behind us. One of the best things about being in college is escaping from under, uh, underneath our parents' roof. You can finally do when you get to college. There's this sense of freedom that you can kind of finally do what you want, when you want, how you want to do things. But as we look back, as we think about maybe before when we were in the home of our parents, that wasn't the case. For, for many of us, living at home, per, particularly during the teenage angsty years, felt like slavery. And even if your parents weren't particularly strict, I know, I'm sure you had friends who had this experience. Here's what Paul's arguing in the section that I just read. When a child is underage and waiting to come of age, 
she is not much different than a slave. She's not much different than a slave. And let me just say, speaking of slavery, the Bible never commends slavery. Those who think that the Bible supports slavery are reading their Bibles wrong. Some in Paul's audience that he was writing to would have been slaves. Some of Paul's friends are slaves who he writes or writes about later. But here, in this text, he's using just an image of slavery to get at an idea. He's making a contrast between a slave and a firstborn son. Paul compares a firstborn son who is underage waiting to receive his inheritance to a household slave. And this, what he's saying is this slave's and this son's situation is similar. They can't really do what they want. They don't have any money now. They're trapped at home or in their job. They don't have freedom. And yet, did you notice there's a key difference? The firstborn son will one day receive the father's full inheritance. Uh, that will not happen in the case of the slave. That's the key difference. And we might think that's not fair. That's not right. But that's not the point in this text. Uh, we all know that birth affords us certain privileges. Uh, you might be jealous that I got $40,000 from my grandpa Clyde, uh, but none of you would legitimately think that you should have gotten a piece of that coin. That was my grandpa, not yours. So be jealous all you want, but that money's mine, fools. <laughs> uh, so this is anyway, this is Paul's setup in 4, 1 to 2. Then in verse 3, Paul makes a remarkable statement. I'm going to read it again. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul's telling his readers here that when they were children of the Father, they actually chose slavery rather than living in light of their inheritance. They despised their inheritance they didn't want that old money, and in their efforts for young money, they became enslaved. And I think we can all relate. Personally, I was once a slave, spiritually. When I came to college, I, was, I thought I was finally free to do what I wanted, because my parents, growing up, were strict. When, even when up to being a junior in high school, my mom tried to keep me from watching R-rated movies. But my slavery was not to my mom's rules. I was in bondage to this world. I was looking to the world to fulfill me. I was looking to my girlfriend, to success, to my studies, uh, to, lot, to money, to lots of things for freedom and joy. But instead, it made me a slave. Let me tell you about just a quick story about my other grandfather on my dad's side, Grandpa Gus. When my grandpa Gus was a teenager, he started smoking cigarettes. And by the time my dad came along, he was up to about three packs a day. As grandpa Gus got older, he wanted to quit smoking. His health was starting to fail and he tried to quit, but he could not. What was once Gus's free choice was now his addiction and his slavery. And because of that, I never met my grandpa Gus. He died of lung cancer the year I was born. Friends, our choices enslave us. We become slaves to our pursuit of pleasure, money, sex, porn, drugs, alcohol, popularity, and then even good things we become slaves to, things like family and career. 
Remember what I read earlier? Paul writes in 4.3, Galatians 4.3. When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, for Paul's original audience that he's writing to in the first century there, the elementary principles of this world would be the legalistic adherence to the Mosaic law, at least for the Jews. They were enslaved to the old Mosaic law. For the Gentiles, it might have been the pagan religions that they had followed before. But I also think that Paul is using this language of the elementary principles of this world to go deeper, to talk about a spiritual bondage, even demonic powers of the unseen realm. Paul will later tell his readers in the letter that in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. Now, if you're anything like me, you're going to convince yourself that you're not a slave. I'm in control. I'm making my own choices. No one's running my life but me. But just as Eve gave in to temptation to try to become like God, we have too. And friends, we will not inherit what God has for us if we are living like our own gods. To live my way is actually to choose slavery. And slaves will not inherit anything from the God of the universe. If you're sitting here tonight, you're probably not a teenager anymore. But long past our teenage years, we enslave ourselves to this world. The elementary principles of this world want us to live for ourselves in this world and bring us down to the grave as slaves who will inherit nothing but an eternity of misery and suffering. But let's consider now what the God of the universe, the Father who created each one of us, offers us instead. And that brings us to our second point, Daddy's Riches. Point number two, Daddy's Riches. What we've considered so far is our sorry condition under the slavery of the sinful choices that we make before we come of age. But now listen to the message that personally changed my life when I was here at WKU all those years ago. This is, again, my second point, Daddy's Riches. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Before I came to college, even though I grew up in a religious home, I didn't truly understand redemption. I acted like, functionally, in my choices, that I could earn God's favor. I thought that God was probably pretty happy with me to have me on his team. I was a nice guy, tried to be kind to others. I never got into the party scene. I thought that God would accept me if I lived a moral life. I thought if I basically lived that good life, followed that golden rule, tried to be kind, that would be good enough for God. But I was wrong. I was dead wrong. God didn't send his son into the world to save self-righteous religious people. In fact, if you read the Gospels, and I encourage you to do so, you'll see that Jesus has some of the harshest words for the religious leaders, for those who are seeking to prove how righteous they are in their own strength. 
When Jesus came, he was born under the law to save those who are trying to earn their way to heaven by keeping his law. Laws like the golden rule, laws like that we have today, like just be kind. Christ came to give us something better than principles for living, like be kind. He came to give us everything that the Father's got. He came to make us sons of God. But the question that should be on our minds now is how does God do that? How does the Father turn slaves into sons? How does he free us? Well, I'll tell you how he did it with me. I came to believe a message about God's Son. I knew this message in my head. I'd heard it a million times. But this message about the Son coming to redeem us hadn't completely changed me. But there was one summer in between my sophomore and junior year here at Western. I was on a trip to Russia. I was reading the Bible in some Soviet-era creepy hotel. And I was reading about a prostitute who was washing Jesus' feet. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought I was a good person. And Jesus tells this prostitute who's washing his feet that she is forgiven and the one who is forgiven much loves much. And I honestly thought to myself, I haven't, God hasn't had to forgive me of much compared to other people. So I must be destined to a life of loving little because I've been so good. I've avoided the really bad things. And then I thought, if I don't need, though, this redemption from the Son, what does it mean for me to call myself a son of God? Because God only frees slaves from the really bad sins and being self-righteous one way, and it's through his Son. Isn't that what we see here? God only makes us his sons through his Son. You know, in so many ways, I had been living under the law, be good, do good, just like these Jews who thought that they had to keep the Mosaic law in order to be righteous, to be right before God. But, but God didn't send his son on the cross to inspire us at the end of the day to live a life of good works and rule keeping. He came to redeem us. He came to give us everything. This son came to make us sons and to give us the same spirit that was dwelling in him. He came to adopt you and offer you everything he's got. And when you are an heir of the Father through the Son, when you belong to this Father, you are an heir of his eternal kingdom, his eternal riches. And you will receive an inheritance that is way better than my 40K that I got from Grandpa Clyde. It's an inheritance way better than if you're like Jeff Bezos' kids. Today, God offers you a chance to become a child through his son. He offers you everything he's got because he offers you himself. I wonder what it would be, what would it mean for you to think about giving your life to this son so that you might know this inheritance. You know, I'm thankful for many things in my life these days, 15 years after graduating from here from Western. I look back at my years here at Western Kentucky, and I'm thankful. But what I'm most thankful for is that I come from money. And I'm not talking about that 40000 from Grandpa Clyde. That's almost gone. It's pretty much gone. 
I'm thankful that because God humbled me and brought me to an end of myself, I can know God's inheritance through the Son. I was running around like a slave trying to please God and myself and my own efforts, but it wasn't working. And in that, in that time, when I most needed it, God offered me something better. I woke up that summer when I was in Russia, and today, if you don't know the joy and the hope of knowing God as your Father, I hope he will open your eyes and your heart, even tonight. When God makes us his children, he comes and he indwells us by his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, so that if you call out to God and call him in the warmest intimacy and love and trust, Father, you can know him as yours he will know you as his child. You may think that God frowns on you because of the bad things you've done or the good things that you know you should do but you haven't done. You might think that God is angry at you. Maybe you feel even ashamed at the thought of even coming before God in prayer or doing something like going to church because you feel a bit like a prodigal son. But God turns prodigal sons into true sons if they will just turn their face towards home and call out to God in love and rejoice that Christ, in Christ, the Father's given us everything he's got to give, for he's given us himself. My Grandpa Clyde's $40,000 is not even a drop in the bucket compared to the riches that I've received as a child of God. And you can become a child of God and know that you come from money today. But you must know your need to be redeemed from under the law and under the weight of your sin. God sent his son to redeem us by dying on the cross for self-righteous sinners like you and me, for rebels like you and me. So my question for you today is, will you turn from living life your way? That's the way of slavery. That way is poor. There's no money in that. But if you are a Christian, if you give yourself to Christ, you come from money. So do you come from money? You can come of age tonight. You can receive daddy's riches. And I'd encourage you to call out in faith to this loving God of the universe who you can know tonight as father. I'd invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We have become slaves to our own desires and the principles of this world. But Lord, we thank you that you created us to know you as Father. And so we confess tonight that though our way is often more fun and comfortable in the moment, it will only lead in death. So Father, forgive us for living as though we are gods. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for sinners like us. We turn from our slavery tonight and ask that you would come and renovate us so that we might know the greatest treasure, which is you for us, us belonging to you through the crucified and living Son, we pray. Amen. Amen.